With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello everybody, welcome back to the WTF1 podcast, That Time When Edition. Welcome back. This was such a well-received video last time out when we did uh, the, the Lewis Hamilton move to Mercedes. We've decided to do another one for YouTube, for audio, for everywhere you like. My name's Matt Gallagher and it wouldn't be the same if it was just myself. We have Katie, the new WTF1 editor. Hello, Katie. Hello, guys. How are you both doing? I thought you were about to ask the audience there. That was a bit odd. Like, how are you? And we also have the WTF1 founder and a man who I've actually heard beat Damon Hill in an arm wrestle using his little finger. Tom Bellingham, how are you? I'm good. Feeling feeling bulky and muscly today, yeah. I've got the strongest little finger in the world. And we move Thanks. on from that then. So today, today we are discussing the seven drivers that won the first seven races of 2012. Yes, you heard that right. 2012 started off with an absolute worldie. It, the whole season was a worldie. But the first seven races, seven different winners, and we're going to dive straight into it. How excited are you both, Tommy and Katie, talking about something where one team is not dominating? Incredible. My favourite season, so looking forward to it. Yeah, it seems like it didn't even happen. When you look at the dominance that we've got now, to have seven different winners in seven different races, just... Magical. <laughs> As I say in the internet's best reactions, let's begin at the very beginning. And that was the start of the 2012 season, uh, where Sebastian Vettel had just won his second world title. He was uh, very dominant. Oh, someone's having uh, some cutlery smashing in the background. No worries if you want to have lunch, by all means. Who was it? <laughs> no, Who was it? Come on. It was me hitting my foot against oh, the chair. Katie. Oh, what an amateur. Katie, it's fine. But we're talking about Vettel, second world title, very dominant. And I guess we were coming into look, thinking it would be the same again, just like we are in this Mercedes era. But there was the banning of the blown diffuser, wasn't there, Tommy? There was indeed, yeah. Vettel had dominated, like you say, 2011 in particular. People people sort of shoe under the whole Red Bull era's this dominance like Mercedes have. But if you think we did a podcast on 2010 before where you had this amazingly close title, 2011 was much more of a dominant performance where Vettel wrapped up the title very early and won so many races. Um, but in 2012, Red Bull were a little bit on the back foot in testing and they yeah, banned this blown diffuser, which uh, if you're unaware of the blown diffuser, essentially you won't go into it too much because I'm not a tech expert. What? But you're not? No, exactly. No, I'm okay. not. Right. But they blew exhaust gases into the diffuser and it created more downforce. That's a very simple explanation of it. Um, but they didn't. Uh, very simple. It, and yet I still yeah. don't understand it. Exactly. But basically, it was banned. It was. It was originally meant to be banned from the 2011 British Grand Prix, but lots of teams applied for a delay, so it came into effect at the start of the 2012 season. Um, but many of the teams were using the 2011 um, young driver test at the end of the season to, to sort of test out new parts such as Williams and Mercedes. Um, so there was some preparation to go into the 2012 season for these new rules that had come into place. And that wasn't the only change uh, that occurred. We also had, uh, well, <laughs> uh, there were Yikes. lots of different names for, well, dildo noses was one of them, wasn't it? 
Uh, no, but, that was that was 2014. Was that 2014? Yeah. Oh, okay. The, no, the sorry. 2012 yeah. was where the front noses were changed to the infamous stepped noses. 2014 was when it was another era of terrible front wings. This was also a bad era for them, where essentially it was just a. Well, I think we we did uh, one in the, uh, one of our videos, didn't we? We went to Tour de Force and uh, showed off one of the step noses there. But you know, essentially just a straight line. Then it just goes down, and then another straight line. Looked awful. Yes. Yeah. Essentially, what happened was they the rules were trying to make the the noses lower because they were worried that high noses if you sort of um have a, like a t-bone instant where you're uh, t-boning another car the nose is going to be almost at like driver head level um and that was a worry for for safety so they said no you need to drop the nose it was that after that um, insane crash with weber and kovalainen uh Yes, but mainly the reaction was because of the Shumi one when uh, Shumi and Lietzi in Abu Dhabi when he spun around and Schumacher like, yes. launched on top of the car. Um, and it was like, yeah, those noses look pretty hurt, like dangerous. Um, but obviously they only put in the regulations like F- the FIA do where only a certain bit needs to be lowered. And rather than making the cars look nice of course the first thing the engineers are going to do is regardless of how they look make them fast and to make them fast they just had this horrible step in it which looked absolutely hideous no it did i agree um the pre-2012 regulations allowed the noses to be as high as 62.2.5 centimeters um, and the new rules meant that it could only be 55 centimeters high but that was 150 millimeters ahead of the front bulkhead which explains the weird step nose that yeah it just looked horrendous didn't it <laughs> so bad but anyway we carry on because the season was good and does it matter if the exactly. Yeah. Every, aren't there. Everyone forgot. No one looks at the 2012 the season. Started. Oh yeah, no, that was the time their seven different drivers won the seven first uh, uh, races. But weren't the weren't the noses? <laughs> you know, no one remembers that, do they? Um, no. Let's go to the first race of the season, the Australian Grand Prix, and uh, McLaren came up came out the blocks firing, didn't they? They were surprisingly dominant. It wasn't a great race, but then when is it ever a good race around Australia? It's just a track that everyone's so buzzed for because it's the first race of the season, and yet we never usually have complete and utter worldies around there because it's a half-street track. But uh, Button won from Vettel and, and Hamilton with uh, our, our Lord Master Pastor, Master Paldonado, I was about to say. <laughs> Pastor Maldonado had, uh, had some surprise pa- uh, pace, but, but crashed. Shock. Of course he did. Yeah, Red Bull struggled a bit pre-season. Everyone thought... You know, we've had Mercedes struggling pre-season and everyone goes, oh, it's fine. As soon as it gets the first race, they'll walk it. But Red Bull didn't. They qualified. Um, Vettel was six tenths off pole, which is a huge margin. Uh, McLaren locked out the front row and were three tenths quicker. A lot of people forget that McLaren should have won that won that season. You think of the Red Bull dominance, but McLaren had built an absolute banger of a car and just dominated that first race. Vettel got past Hamilton in the pit stops. Um, but then, yeah, Pastor Maldonado being Pastor Maldonado, he was having the race of his life, trying to catch Alonso for P5, and binned it in the wall on the last lap, bless him. That is such a Maldonado move, if ever I've heard of one. <laughs> but, but fortunately, <laughs> I mean, we'll go into it later, but he was sort of able to redeem himself later on in the season. But yeah, like you say, not a, not a great race. I mean... I suppose it's quite a controversial opinion. I don't mind 
um, Melbourne as a race to go to. I think part of it could be that I'm so excited F1 is finally back that I'm they could be racing around a car park yeah, and I'd still be hyped. Yeah. <laughs> so gets a free pass, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Like you say, the races are never. Yeah. Usually, unless there's some kind of rain or chaos, uh, a lot of the time the races can be. It's just really difficult to pass there, mm. isn't it? Mm. But it was interesting from Jensen Button. So he went to win the Grand Prix. Uh, Lewis Hamilton on pole position, as we might mentioned earlier. Um, but the team said they made a mistake in calculating the fuel load for Jensen, um, using making him use a severe fuel saving mode from the eighth lap of the race. So he went on to to take the win, which was good. But yeah, it was the race itself was pretty pretty exciting i'd say for an australian grand prix yeah that was a time where mclaren made a a big error in calculations but actually got away with it which doesn't happen later which we'll go into (laughs) well going from a race that you know some people may not think was very good to a a very very interesting race at the malaysian grand prix obviously very sad that sapang isn't still on uh, the calendar it's a track that's always thrown up so many surprises not one because the circuit is actually quite good but also uh, the fact that just uh, weather climate always changing um, but McLaren were 1-2 in qualifying again but as I mentioned we had some Malaysian monsoon weather and uh, it allowed us to to see a, a very strange and has some sort of controversial conspiracy theories around it, doesn't it, Tommy? We've mentioned this before in a that time when podcast, I think. But uh, we had a battle between Alonso and Perez for the win. Uh, but Sergio mysteriously went off. He did. Yeah, Ferrari. So we, we spoke about Red Bull having a bad preseason where they were struggling um, to match McLaren's pace. But Ferrari were in a whole world of problems they qualified 12th and 16th for australia and 19th and 12th in malaysia they they were you know really struggling alonso had won some races in 2011 and was hoping to challenge for the title like he did in 2010 but i think they were they were pretty sure that wasn't going to happen because the car was just dreadful at the start of the season so yeah very unlikely to see not only alonso up there but then sergio Perez, who's only in his second season in f1 and uh, he was chasing down Alonso, trying to get his wor- first win, but sadly did not. No, it was it was a good race. I mean, like you say, the Malaysian monsoon weather, which is something that normally always seems to happen. Whenever we go to, we went to Malaysia, similar kind of thing happens when we go to Japan. It's always in like the really rainy seasons. Um, and, and Hamilton got pole position, but Jensen was able to overtake him in the first few laps. But then the race was postponed it was red flagged for nearly an hour due to the rain conditions because they were just completely undrivable um biblical yeah it was insane to to see but yeah when they got back to racing like you say the battle for the win between Alonso and Perez was was excellent and it was Perez's first podium of his career in Malaysia and really made a lot of people sit upright and actually pay attention to this new kid on the block I think he was like 21 or something like that so fairly young in those days um obviously now we have yeah, like 12 a... year olds driving f1 cars but um <laughs> but yeah is a Ferrari is a Ferrari uh, junior as well he wasn't was he? yeah so and um, the conspiracy yeah, the, theories. The, yeah, and the controversy happened because Sergio Perez was closing in on Alonso, and this is when Sauber had a huge sort of. They were they were really close to Ferrari. They were pretty much like a Ferrari B team at this point. Uh, engine supplied to them, their drivers 
uh, similar to Alpha now, I guess. But what happened was um, Sauber were doing, obviously, amazingly well. They'd never won a Grand Prix. And they, they came on the radio to Perez and said, Checo, we need this position. Be careful. And then immediately he went off, which is probably from a team, you know, as soon as they're thinking about it. Perez was just driving the race of his life, not thinking about it. And as soon as the team told him to calm down, that's probably when he overthought thought of it and made a mistake. Um, but a lot of people thought that, some people thought it was just a genuine thing of Sauber going, look, this is such huge constructors points for a team mm. like us that's going to get so much money. We need, we, we can't afford you to bin it in the side of Alonso. I believe and that one, to be fair. I believe that one. I don't think and there then, was any... Yeah, and then more sceptical people believed that it was just a way to be like, we don't want to annoy Ferrari, by which, Ferrari. I don't, yeah. which I don't believe at all, personally. He was closing in so quickly as well. It was such a shame for Perez because, I mean, Katie says that everybody sat up and saw Perez as a great driver. Obviously, he had that season at McLaren and then his season just stagnated from there. Oh, his season, his career stagnated from there, didn't it, really? Um, so it's, yeah. well, that's why there's been lots of calls nowadays for Perez to, to get that Red Bull seat because everyone thinks that he's finally, you know, well, he's probably years ago he hit that stage where he could go back to a top team, but he's just never had the opportunity. Um, but as you say, Alonso won by, by just two seconds, uh, even after that mistake. So, uh, yeah, it was a, it was a very... Strange yeah. race, wasn't it? But uh, well, considering because no one expected Alonso to win a race because of how bad the Ferrari was, it's amazing to think that if Perez had won that race, it would have been eight in a row because of how the season eventually panned out. Spoiler um, alert! Nice yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> we interrupt this WTF1 podcast for a very quick chat about our sponsor for this episode, Manscaped, who are the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. And they've just launched in the UK. You can be one of the first men in England to experience their life-changing products. The Manscaped engineering team has perfected the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created and just released the new and improved Lawn Mower 3.0 in the UK. Their third generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. And when I tell you this is premium, I mean premium. The battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can take a longer shave. The waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower and one of the coolest features is the LED light which illuminates grooming areas for a closer, more precise trim. And let's not forget about the charging stand. Show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you fancy giving Manscaped a go, then we're willing to give you 20% off and free shipping with the code WTF1 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code WTF1. Your balls will thank you. Right, let's get back to the podcast. Okay, moving on to uh, the next one, which is the Chinese Grand Prix. Uh, a lot of people may know that as my favourite one to watch. Very, that is, <laughs> that is an unpopular opinion, but here we are. Underrated race though, isn't it? Huh? A bit of China. Underrated though, China, isn't it? It is underrated. I think we've had some good There's races some around there. Really no races. one really sees it as a great track, which I personally love it. But anyway, this isn't the reason why I like it as well, because Mercedes <laughs> were unbelievably quick at the Chinese Grand Prix. You had Nico Rosberg on pole, Shumi on second, and that was thanks to a controversial system. Tommy, do you have more on that? I do. So do you Mercedes... Like that? That like a news thing. Yes, thank you, uh, Matthew. I'm here. Our at, tech uh, correspondent. Brackley. 
No, um, so B-tech Mercedes. B Tech. <laughs> <laughs> um, Mercedes had uh, a system uh, which was essentially called, uh, was nicknamed Double DRS. And the way they did it was their fuel, um, sorry, their, their DRS flap would open and the air could channel around the rear wing back into the car and basically give them huge straight line speed and obviously we know china is one of those tracks where straight line speed is very important because there's a one kilometer straight so this gave mercedes an absolutely massive advantage and yeah rosberg was on pole by six tenths from hamilton uh initially but he had a gearbox problem because mclaren (laughs) (laughs) no it was uh it was great to see uh, Rosberg get Mercedes first pole position since they came back into the sport in 2010 and like you say with the issues with Hamilton it promoted Schumi up into second and I'm sure people such as Matt uh, got very excited at the prospect that Mercedes were going to be this really amazing super quick team yes, yes. The, the circuit helped no doubt but certainly the hype train was going um and as somebody who i've i think i've mentioned this in a previous podcast i supported nico rosberg at the time to see him get his you know first pole position and then later on get his first win um that that race is particularly special but it was it was a good race it was it's nice to well, i say nice to see somebody different winning obviously at the time we had had two previous different winners at the season and then mercedes in a few years time just went on to win everything but at the time, it was lovely to so see a nice. new team. Yeah. <laughs> so nice to see Mercedes win. Yeah. Uh, now, so different. <laughs> um, but the, the funny thing is, I, I actually looked back. Uh, so when Rosberg won that race, it was Mercedes' first victory since 1955, of course. And it was their 10th victory in Formula One. Eight years later, they now have 114. Wow. I don't want to talk about it. Uh, neither do I want to talk about yeah neither do I want to talk about Schumacher and um well we had pit stop issues but then he actually DNF didn't he he did his he came to basically um his tire wasn't fitted properly in the pit stops when he was running second yeah cheers thanks no worries I'm over it Schumacher had ridiculously I mean he didn't drive particularly well but he also had some terrible luck when the Mercedes was actually good yeah frightening But I guess that maybe people say it evened out a little bit, his uh, previous seven world titles. But anyway, we won't get into that. Uh, and, and, and another point for the Chinese Grand Prix was that Red Bull were nowhere. They weren't, yeah. Uh, Sebastian Vettel actually missed uh, Q1, uh, Q3, sorry, which was a Missed major... Q1, didn't even get... Missed Q1, didn't, didn't even, even turn get... up. <laughs> no, um, so yeah, they qualified. Webb was seventh, Vettel was 11th. Uh, and they finished fourth and fifth, thirty seconds off Rosberg for the win. So, mm. not what people were expecting from no, that season. Definitely not. I think if you're Christian Horner or Adrian Newey, you might be starting to panic slightly at this point in the season with the pace that they've had. Well, definitely. they didn't need to, did they? <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. Yeah. Because we segue to the next race, the Bahrain Grand Prix, where Sebastian Vettel was back to his usual self back then, not now. Uh, where he uh, won from pole position. Um, but Kimi Raikkonen should have won for Lotus, but made a half-hearted attempt. But why, why is that, Tommy, correspondent? Yeah, if you watch it back, um, Kimi Raikkonen was on fire. Not literally, <laughs> but just so quick. Um, he had the pace to win that race. He was catching Sebastian Vettel, who was 
like you say, leading from pole. And he had a really good chance down the main straight DRS, Bahrain being one of the easier places to overtake. And he thought better of it. Um, he had space down the inside, but thought better of it. And then the, the opportunity never came again. So it's one of those things where Kimi Raikkonen, you think maybe he'd have died down the inside, but at the same time, maybe that's more the experience of Kimi knowing that in this crazy season where everyone's winning and then DNFing in the next race, that consistency could be key. And maybe his his brain was thinking, you know, like, well, like Sergio, we need this position. Um, so, yeah, he, it could have could have easily gone Kimi's way, but instead Vettel finally won a race you wouldn't expect it would take him four races after how dominant he was in 2011 no i mean we talked at the beginning of the podcast about vettel's performance in 2011 he won 11 of the 19 races and was on the podium 17 out of 19 races um the only other times he didn't get on the podium during 2011 was when he finished fourth and he also had a retirement so it just shows how insanely you know competitive he was that season um but yeah in bahrain Camille started 11th and managed to work his way up to second, which, I mean, we've seen it previously. I think it was in Portimao when when Kimi started and made the most amazing, you know, made up 10 positions in the first lap. But he, yeah, like Tommy said, he, he wanted to keep it consistent. And I think that was probably quite a sensible plan, as much as it would be lovely for him to have won from 11th, keeping those points in the bag, keeping them safe um, and it was a good plan because the season was so mad that actually by doing that move and, and keeping in that position, it, it ended up being quite a clever thing to do. Absolutely. Um, a few more points from the Bahrain Grand Prix was that McLaren were, were messing up again, as uh, Tommy's already started to say that that was a yeah. running trend of, uh, of, of problems. Two, two pit stop errors for Hamilton, which cost him. Uh, so Hamilton started the race in second and he his first stop this is back when the Pirellis were you know high tire deg and people used to stop quite a lot um Hamilton came in for his first stop McLaren messed up uh, his stop and he dropped way down the field a really long stop uh, like 10 12 seconds or something came in for a second stop exactly the same thing so he ended up uh, eighth and I was watching back the season review uh, the BBC did, uh, and they're actually talking about Jensen Button uh, is actually talking quite honestly about how McLaren sort of threw away these races, um, which is rare because obviously he was still staying with that team, and it's rare that a driver's maybe so critical about his team. Um, but what McLaren were doing were they were trying to get sub three second pit stops at this stage. Um, Obviously, we'd only just banned refueling at this point, so pit stops. They were trying to get under three seconds, and McLaren were introducing all these fancy gadgets and gizmos and stuff to try and make this happen. And Jensen Button was saying, in hindsight, I really wish they'd done this in winter testing or at the end of the season, not during a season when we had the best car by a considerable margin at the start and we should have not been throwing away races. Sub three second pit stops as well when we're now at 1.8 with Red Bull. It's like, yeah. Jeez. Yeah, but it, it shows like Mercedes Mercedes don't win the pit stop award every year, but they know that, you know, not to mess just about. Consistent, and, yeah. yeah, just be consistent. So, yeah, and it was amazing that you went into, when after that race, you still had 
10 points separating Vettel, Hamilton, Weber, Button and Alonso, which is exactly the same uh, or like same five that were in the amazing 2010 championship fight. So it looked like it was going to be another 2010. Do you think, guys, that it was probably at this point in the season, and we'll talk about the Spanish Grand Prix in a moment, that Hamilton was maybe thinking you know what I'm it's not worth me staying at McLaren there's too many things that are happening that are messing up my Grand Prix (laughs) or do you think that's something that maybe came later in the season probably next (laughs) yeah probably yeah (laughs) Uh, I'd imagine he's probably thinking about yeah well especially when it's out of his control you know that's when even when the performance is potentially there they're not taking making uh, taking advantage of that then yeah, who knows? It's it's a weird one. Or maybe it was just when Mercedes came along with a massive paycheck. Who knows? Uh, next up, the Spanish Grand Prix, which is always a belter. But actually, I'm not being it sarcastic was. because it was. <laughs> because 2012, <laughs> even 2012, man, 2012 was so good. It managed to make Spanish Grand Prix a belter. Just 2012 things. Um, McLaren messed up again. Hamilton was excluded from pole, uh, which meant that Pastor Maldonado took the maiden pole position but uh, Tommy I hear you down in the pit lane again can you give us more on Lewis Hamilton excluded from pole <laughs> yeah so Hamilton like I say set set pole should have should have been starting from the front row McLaren with their amazing car again Hamilton thinking oh well at least now I'm back at the front get some points in the bag and then McLaren didn't fill up his I thought uh, it was fuel, fuel wasn't it? Yeah. yeah and he ran out of fuel on the in lap which you're not allowed to do and he was excluded so he'd start dead last um, just another, you know, another race that McLaren threw away with this really competitive car. And, um, yeah, Pastor Maldonado, of all people, was second that day. So he actually got his maiden pole. Unbelievable. What a, like, what a drive. It's like a parody headline, isn't it? Maldonado takes pole position, you think. Hang on a minute, have I read that correctly? But yeah, when you listen yeah. back to the, the team radio of McLaren saying to Hamilton, you know, um, you're going to have to pull over to the side and you can hear him saying, is it bad? And you just know at that point that he is not in a good place having to go from pole position right to the back of the, the grid. But I mean, having Maldonado on pole position on that Sunday, I, I watched a similar thing to you, Tommy. I watched the BBC season review um, and he was talking to them saying, you know, that he was pretty worried because he hadn't had the best starts that season and he was lined up next to Alonso. So he's probably thinking, yeah, he was... goodness, what on earth is he going to do here? But give credit to the guy he he did pretty well I think Alonso got him in the first few corners but he managed to make it work yeah, exactly he, yeah he did I mean as, as much as everybody memes Pastor Maldonado that was the day where he genuinely proved that he had some serious minerals like not not a lot of people would be able to to win that race especially when he lost the lead to Fernando you know you think to yourself Okay, let's let's try get the podium. The fact he still won when he had the pressure of Fernando Alonso behind him for the entire race. Yeah, exactly. I w- yeah, he was just double. one of those drivers, wasn't he? That was extremely quick, but just crashed a lot. A bit like Jacques Villeneuve. Yeah, which makes it even more incredible that of all the races he won, it was one where he was under enormous pressure from two-time world champion Fernando Alonso and. To make matters even worse, Kimi Raikkonen had made an extra pit stop and was lapping like three seconds a lap quicker than everyone else. This was the era where Pirelli, you know, there was such a shredding difference when you when you pit. 
uh, Kimmy was catching up and it looked like it was going to be a three-way fight right to the end. And Maldonado, yeah, like he, like we say, he crashed in Melbourne when he was on for this amazing result. And you think, oh, he's one of those drivers that's just... Going to bottle it. Going to bottle it. And no, he didn't. He won. Um, unbelievable. For, for Williams, who were, you know, Bruno Senna was nowhere all year, really. And Maldonado would occasionally crop up in 2012 with these incredible races where he just proved that he had unbelievable pace um, and like you say could amazing bottle for for him to to be able to put in that drive under such huge pressure it was outstanding wasn't it I, I messaged Tommy before we watched this and I I was watching the the season review and got a little bit emotional I'm somebody that cries at literally everything <laughs> like John Nurse Abbott I'm a goner anything like that but seeing the elation from everybody at Williams because it was such a well they still are underperforming team they were a little bit more competitive in 2012 but to think that Maldonado is the last race winner for a team as historic and as special to the sport as Williams is still <laughs> still mind-blowing but yeah yeah it was an incredible day but took a really vile horrible turn um after the race when there was a fire in the Williams garage um and quite a lot of personnel were hurt and obviously all the the parts to the cars and things like that but it did show that f1 could come together when you know people from garages all along the pit lane were bringing fire extinguishers and trying to do everything they could to help get and salvage as much from the garages but i mean to go from you know cloud nine to rock bottom in the space of probably what like half an hour or an hour yeah gosh it's like it's quite chilling really when you think about it but let's not take away uh, passed about. No, 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 no. Let's, let's not let's not finish the Spanish Grand Prix on that. Obviously, it was huge elation for Pastor Maldonado, and and it was uh, an awesome, amazing story for Williams. I think that just summarizes Maldonado, just the, the the chaos of Maldonado. That his only Grand Prix win, the garage just burst into flames and exploded after the race for no apparent reason. Good old um, Pastor. Th- thank God everyone was all right. So yeah, all absolutely. Uh, right now we move on to well. Where do pain. I begin? Are you going to be all right, Where Matt? do I begin? No, I'm, I, look, it is painful, but it's also an incredible moment that I've watched over and over and over and over and over because Shumi got pole. Like, he did. I don't care if people go, <laughs> he had a penalty. It's pole position. In my books, that's another pole in the, in the records, but it's not because he that's had a penalty so after crashing into Bruno Senna at the Spanish Grand Prix. But the lap... Oh, goodness me I can see it in my eyes see it in my brain it was just it it was whether you hated him or you loved him it was such an epic moment even with the penalty over overhanging because you had the team radio and it was just so emotional and yeah it, it, it was as a Shumi fanboy it was probably one of my most favorite like, my favorite moment ever of of Shumi I, th- I think it uh, I mean, I'm I'm talking for you here, Matt, but I think because Schumacher won seven world titles and, you know, broke every record in the sport, it makes it a little bit, bit less painful that, well, at least, you know, he's got so many poles. And you, like you say, it's not it's not a heartbreak where, you know, like a, a Nika Hulkenberg where he's going for finally going to get a podium and crashes yeah. or whatever. It, it, it's, it's one of those things that you can just look back on and appreciate because he's got all these poles and you just think, wow, 
Michael Schumacher, regardless of the result and the penalty, we'd have loved to have you know seen him start from pole because yeah. it's Monaco, probably would have won. Um, just to see Michael Schumacher being able to prove at that age, after all the criticism he had about yeah. why has he come back and stuff, to prove at that age that he still got it and could could put in a lap like that, it was, it was incredible. Yeah, that's such a good lap. That's amazing. Good. That's the only superlative you could drop, Tommy. Is good Unbelievable. Lap. Spectacular. But yeah, it's it's completely right. You know, it was the fact that you know people like me had to you know bat away all this criticism and ignore it all. You know, Schumi's passed it. He's getting trounced by Nico Rosberg, which he was. You know, fair enough. But to to set the fastest lap in qualifying around Monaco of all places was just like. Yeah, I'm not going to bask in it too much, but I feel like there at least deserves a minute of just kind of... I, it, I wouldn't forgive myself if I didn't, you know, give this moment a serious kind of, um, I don't know, bit of a... I don't even Praise. know. Praise, yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. I think, Katie, what did you think? I think you're more than right to, you know, have a, a moment of respect and sort of, you know, see what an amazing yeah, job I forgot, Schumacher... I forgot how to start talking. It's just getting so you know, choked just, up. It's just too emotional. Literally. <laughs> But it was a phenomenal lap from Schumacher. And I think it really shut up quite a lot of people that said, you know, after Schumacher retired in 2006 and then he said he was coming back to Formula One, a lot of people probably thought, mate, just just stay away. Just, you know, you've, you've done it. You've left on a high. You can just leave it there. But he came back and, and to do so with that, that pole in Monaco, it was just spectacular. And... Like you say, Matt, for for Schumacher fans or even just F1 fans, it still remains one of the best pole positions. And to see him after getting that pole and doing almost like his victory walk back to the to the paddock, it's so special. And yeah, I'm really I'm happy that it was part of the, this amazing 2012 season that we're we're talking about. It was excellent. Yeah, because it, it went from expecting Schumacher to get pole and win all the time in his first career. And then his second career was: Will he finish the race? Will he will he crash into someone? Will he, you know all this stuff? Yeah. And then to do that was just incredible. Anyway, moving on to the race. Obviously, Schumacher had a five place pe- penalty, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was five. Yeah, place, yeah. which is a shame um, because I think he would have won that day uh, purely because of the fact that Weber started from pole and he won, and he held off a huge train behind him, he, and the top four was separated yeah. by one point three seconds at the finish. Shoomy train would have been amazing. Anyway, it was a Weber train. Anyone, whatever, don't he, care. He did. He did. <laughs> yeah, it was just a it was a classic Monaco race of um, Weber's tires were rubbish at the end, but he managed to hold on because it's just so hard to overtake, and everyone was like you say, right behind him at the end. I mean, top six were separated by six seconds. Um, Vettel had actually managed to. I forgot about this. Vettel had managed to make his way from tenth uh to fourth thanks to you know a good strategy and stuff um but yeah weber winning the race from pole and becoming another winner yeah and also having a red bull driver win in monaco means we normally get to see a really cool jump into the red bull swimming pool in their floating monaco uh floating monaco what's it called like Floater home. Motor home yeah so floater home. <laughs> floater home <laughs> yeah that's what they call it the floater home Wow, you learn something new every day. I that, uh, yeah, I thought that's what you were—you were the word you were thinking of. I mean, that's new. That's new. Yeah. Thank you for that, Tommy. Really appreciate you're, that. You're welcome. Yep. Yeah, so that was the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, as always, you know, Tommy will 
constantly say to keep it on the calendar, and yet the top four were separated by 1.3 seconds, and it was considered a rather pr- big procession. Yeah, it would have been a shame if they'd dropped it and we'd never got to see Shimmy's poll. I'm sure you'd have loved that. <laughs> <laughs> Drop it after 2012. Touche. Touche. <laughs> Monaco's peaked. It's yeah, fun. 2012 was, was it. 2013 <laughs> onwards, no. Right, Canadian Grand Prix. We get to our sixth, no, seventh. Is that seventh. the seventh? It's it seventh. is. It's the seventh is round of seven. the season. And Sebastian Vettel started from pole. So we thought maybe the train, not of the Monaco train, but the train of different winners would uh, would, would maybe be broken. But there was huge tyre degradation. This is where literally you could see like half a tyre just on the off the racing line, right? Like towards the end, it was genuinely looked like it had been snowing tyre tyres, hadn't it? It's just like it was just black everywhere. Yeah, if um, you watch a race from that era, yeah, offline is just marbles yeah, everywhere ridiculous so uh people with fresher tires were coming through the pack and uh well that enabled us to have our seventh different winner which was lewis hamilton of all people the man that has broken every single record almost uh finally won a race in 2012 uh seven races in yeah who'd have thought you know after what's happened now that would be saying hamilton finally wins a race <laughs> um but yeah in in this race um alonso and vettel had gambled and stayed out this, like we said before, is an era where the tyres were just crazy in, in 2012. And part of the reason that this season was so mad and we had all these winners was because no one could work out what was the best strategy to do in the race because the tyres would just fall off a cliff and shred, yeah. You know, they just weren't used to it. So you had Vettel and Alonso going, well, we're going to go to the end. And then Hamilton, who, by the way, had had another pit stop error from McLaren and dropped him uh, <laughs> dropped him back <laughs> just throw that in there um yeah exactly so another another add to join Mercedes list um yeah he'd he'd come back through the pack he'd, he'd got fresher tires at the end and managed to to pass them easily but other two people coming through the field was Roman Grosjean for Lotus who um it's back when Lotus were you know proper who are now Renault but they were they actually were, quick. They were yeah. really quick. Uh, and yeah, Grosjean uh, popped in a podium in P2 and Perez as well, having another one of his amazing races where Sergio Perez, yeah, it's just incredible that season. Yeah, he was with both of those drivers. Seems quite rare now. I know we've obviously just had Perez on the podium in Turkey, but to have uh, Grosjean and Perez on the podium, it's just like the good old times. Um, but one week before the Canadian Grand Prix, the FIA declared that the floor used by Red Bull in Monaco was illegal. So they had to change all of that, um, which, I mean, obviously didn't work out too badly when Sebastian Vettel managed to get pole position. But yeah, the Canadian Grand Prix is another race, actually, that I think quite a lot of people aren't too keen on. I personally really like the Canadian Grand Prix. I think it's a, the, the track in the circuit is normally and it gives us some pretty good entertainment but yeah it was nice to see Hamilton finally take a win after seven races which like you say in modern days would just be unheard of especially how good the McLaren was yeah had so many chances if you think that you know got quite a few poles uh, would have been it actually got pole position first race of the year yeah and would have got it in Spain got it in Malaysia I think as well so yeah the the car that McLaren had at the start of the season, it's unbelievable that it took seven races for Hamilton to get a victory. Um, but as was the way it went. Absolutely. 
Great, great summary there, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> so after seven rounds, just three points separated Hamilton, Alonso and Vettel. Uh, and the record streak was finally broken after Alonso's epic victory in Valencia. Well, people talk about that. People also talk about Schumi on the podium. You know, it's pretty much, you know, it's very similar, isn't it? You know, uh, <laughs> that was where Hamilton and Maldonado crashed, wasn't it? Uh, on the last few laps, was it? Um, it was, yeah. And uh, yeah, promoted sure Schumi. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast I, on I, that race. I was incredible. We can do a whole podcast on that race because it was a, a banger. But yeah, what a season. And this is, like I say, this is only just the start of it. It is just the start of it. And we will do another That Time When podcast about Valencia 2012 and the finale in Brazil that year another time. And uh, if you have any other suggestions, if you want us to do a That Time When on a particular topic, then uh, tweet us at WTF1 official or um, use the hashtag WTF1 podcast. Probably easier if you go along that route because then we can uh, filter it and find uh, find your suggestions and questions. And uh, final thoughts from uh, Tommy and Katie before we go. Uh, 2012, best season ever, incredible races, um, six world champions on the grid, seven if you count, Rosberg, who obviously got it after the fact. Um, You had essentially the championship battle of 2010 mixed with the title finale of 2008. It was just so, so good. And I was watching back that uh, review. I think you watched it as well, Katie, from the BBC. And it made me realise... Of all, of all the eras, a lot of people will look back and go, oh, I wish I was alive during, you know, Senna and Prost era and all this stuff. But I, I definitely feel immensely lucky to have, have witnessed that that season live and just because it, it was just unbelievable. So, so good. I don't know how I'm going to follow that, Tommy, I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. Bye-bye. Bye. Yeah. No, I I've, I've totally agree with every point you said. I don't think there were any bad races in 2012. Um, it just... Even if they might not have been great racing content, the the battle for on the calendar uh, on the calendar on the drivers' title and stuff like that was exciting and yeah, fantastic. Awesome. Hope twenty twenty two brings us more of this. Twenty one, please. Well, twenty Just... one's going to be the same, isn't it? No, it's the same regs. But no, oh, no. Yeah. There'll be a magical Mercedes will forget. Believe to be good. I reckon um, the FIA will ban everything that Mercedes have built. There we go. Just ban Mercedes. Point as well. Might be interesting. Yeah, may- maybe that. We'll see. But uh, something to spice up 2021. But if not, <laughs> yes, 22. Hopefully. Hopefully we'll be good. God, I'll be turning 30 then. Anyway, let's I'm move sure. on. Uh, Tommy, you're already 45, but you look 12, so it doesn't matter. It's the, it's the right way around to have it. Uh, anyway, thank you so much, everybody, for watching and listening. Make sure to give us five stars or a thumbs up or wherever you're listening or watching because you know we deserve absolutely nothing less. Also, check out our sponsor for this episode, Manscaped. And that is about it. Thank you so much to Tommy and to Katie for taking the time to speak to us about that time when. And we'll be back for another episode very soon. Love you all. Enjoy. Will it be... Bahrain. Yeah, this will be out before Bahrain, won't it? So uh, enjoy Bahrain, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye! Bye! Bye, everyone. Bye and waving bye. 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 Bye and waving bye.